All right, now that we're off the radio, uh, I have heard of the Christiana Riot, actually. So go ahead and tell me more about that. All right, so this happened a few years before the actual Civil War. The title, called Civil War the First Blow Struck, is coming from newspaper editorials saying, this thing that happened is going to cause a civil war eventually, um, mm -hmm. which in fact turned out to be true. Um, so so what, what was the riot about? What caused the riot? So several slaves had escaped from a plantation in Maryland and were on their way through the Underground Railroad, passing through Christiana. Uh, at the time, the law, the Fugitive Slave Act, said that anyone yep. in a slave or free state needed to assist in the recapture of any escaped slaves. Yep. Uh, was, and so... It was a part of the Compromise of 1850, the Fugitive Slave Act. Yeah. So uh, a U.S. marshal who were responsible for enforcing that act uh, came to the area with um, the slave owner and a posse of several of his men to try to capture the escaped slaves and bring them back. Um, and instead of running and hiding, they decided, no, we're just going to stand here and we're not going to go with you. Hmm. Um, and history doesn't record exactly how the violence started. Um, but at the end, the slaveholder and several of the other men in his party were dead. And this, I'm assuming there was a few dead slaves, or was there? I actually not? don't think there were. Oh, really? So um, a, a, I'm not positive about that, though. Maybe a successful Nats Turner Rebellion kind of situation. Yeah. So then um, the escaped slaves continued fleeing further northward, as well as some of the people who'd assisted uh, in the rebel the I don't want to call it a riot, the resistance, mm. um, whereas others stayed here um, and were tried for the crime of treason. Because, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. That was, they had assaulted a U.S. marshal who was trying to oh, yeah, um, enforce the law. Uh, and so they were tried, and as the song says, um, they were represented by Thaddeus Stevens, who mm -hmm. anyone who's from Lancaster should <laughs> yes. probably be familiar with. Um, and did, in fact, reach a jury nullification um, where the jury said, we can't rule you innocent because by the text of the law, you clearly broke the law. However, However. we can't find you guilty either because your actions were righteous. Right. Yeah, that, that's incredible. So so uh, we were kind of talking about it during the song that this is kind of like the shot heard around the world before the Civil War. Yes. There were other louder shots later. Oh, for but sure. This is the first example of um, a specific resistance to the fugitive slave act yeah that's that's so why write about this i just found it fascinating um i mean it is a really compelling story i told mm -hmm. you i like lyrics that tell a story maybe even more than that i like lyrics that tell a story that's not just like you know a story of two people who fell in love i don't right. find that very interesting a story that is teaching you something about history, teaching you something about politics, teaching you something about the human experience. So you were a big fan of Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually remember ever hearing any Schoolhouse Rock no. as a kid. Um, I've seen like the one about the bill and how it becomes yeah. law at some point as an adult, but no, I never saw them back then. Uh, I, I saw, I was a gigantic fan of those as a kid. Um, like a conjunction, junction. What's your function? Right. I remember that, um, hearing that. Yeah, Th those were those were the highlights of my childhood. Um, but yeah, that that's really cool. So, 
you well, how did you come across this story? I, I guess you lived in Christiana. I guess that that, that is there like a like a, a memorial there or a... I'm sure there is. I don't specifically remember seeing it. Um, I don't know where I heard about it for the first time, but it's something I've known about for a long time. Mm. And you uh, was is mm, questions forming. Uh, so how did you approach writing the the lyrics to the song? What was there a specific point of view that you had? Um, what was the main message that you wanted to get across? Well, the point of view of the narrator is one of the people that is assisting the escaped slaves. Um, so he talks about his co-conspirators. Um, Samuel is an actual person um, mm. who notified them that the marshal was coming. Um, Parker is William Parker, an abolitionist whose house they were actually staying at. I was wondering if you had actually used like actual historical figures or not. Yes. That's cool. It, um, so I assume you did a mountain ton of research You'd be surprised what you can get just from Wikipedia. <laughs> That's also <laughs> but fair. yeah. But sometimes, I know people like professors claim that Wikipedia isn't isn't the best source of information. But for old stuff like that, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's the newer stuff you have to worry about. Um, but in regards to like historical events, scientific discoveries, I think, in my humble opinion, I think it's worth it. It's, yeah. it's a great place to find sources. Also, right, exactly. You can fact check itself with the mm -hmm. sources it cites. So um what was the response to the band when or, or what was the response of the band when you brought this to them? Um one part of the response was, hey this is really cool, you've been holding out on us, you need to write more songs. Mm. Um another part was this is really different arrangement wise from our other songs. I'm not sure we can really pull this off, at least live. In what way? Um, the ska part doesn't show oh. up in any of our other songs. The choruses are pretty much the same as the way our other songs go. So was that a whole learning experience for, a, was that the rhythm guitarist or yeah. like the lead singer? Well, no, I think it actually is the lead guitarist who recorded it. Okay. So was that a, a new experience for him? I think so. Do you think he, did Did he enjoy it or was yeah, he kind of, so. okay, that's good. Does he incorporate it into new, newer songs at all? No. No. <laughs> Someday perhaps I'll write another ska-based song, but we haven't done any yet. That's unfortunate. Um, um, the other uh, big difficulty was it was the first time our singer had ever tried to sing something that he hadn't written. Oh. Uh, and the first time that I'd ever had somebody try to sing something that I'd written and maybe not sing it the same way that I would. Right. Um, which was challenging for both of us. Yeah, because that's something I've always kind of had. Because I'm I'm not a very good singer, um, but uh, I know people who are very great singers, and it's hard to communicate what your vision is for when you have it so clearly in your head. For example, I I have a country song now I want to write, um, but I know I, first off finding a country singer who can have a country accent while singing. Second off, have the right country accent. To, to sing it with mm -hmm. and uh and those those kind of aspects they uh, align with a lot of different genres because with punk you it, there's you know there's the green day voice you can have there's the uh um or if you're going from like a more like kind of like rock you have this uh oh what the carry on my wayward sons the uh kansas, kansas or sweet child of mine guns and roses guns and roses yeah like that kind of voice uh, where it's not necessarily pitch correct, but it it's it fits. Mm -hmm. And um, 
or you have like you know, you know the more streamlined which crack streamlined uh vocals so it, it's very interesting to have to work with other people and work within their confines i'm sure that led to a lot of growth though between yeah you probably. guys the part that was frustrating for me was I didn't really care that much about the melody. He picks different notes. They'll probably sound good too. But because I'd started out as figuring out the rhythmic, exactly how does each syllable fall to make like the right meter and have it all be mm. symmetric, I really cared about the rhythm. And he kept singing things in different rhythms and like not being able to hear the difference between me saying, it sounds like this, and him saying, yeah, like this, but it's not the same. Um, oh, that's that's unfortunate. And so he tried briefly actually having me sing it, despite me also not being a very good singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and even went as far as recording those vocals in the studio before realizing this is just not acceptably good. Right. Uh, <laughs> you can't sing. Um, so that is him on the final recording. Um, pretty close to the way I originally had it, but it took a lot of work on his part. Oh, that's that. I mean, that it's good. It, uh, that's that's probably. Learning rhythms is annoying for anybody, but uh, it, as a drummer especially, oh my gosh, that's, that's, that helps so much. Um, and uh, so the way it was arranged was interesting to me um, because you had you had the the upbeats and then you had the uh, right it, it, the almost genre switching aspects. Mm-hmm. Did did you have that in mind originally, or was I did. That's basically exactly what third wave okay. ska is. Pretty oh, much really? every song in that genre is going to sound very, very similar to that arrangement-wise. It's going to have verses with this clean guitar playing the upstrokes. It's going to have choruses and maybe pre-choruses and intros and other things um, that sound more like a traditional punk rock song. Okay, because I, I was interested because uh, I, I, for a lot of my pieces for my musical, I cater the songs to the feeling and emotion. Um, whether that be, you know, for a really like raging shouting, like, like it was, I would be like full out, uh, mm-hmm. uh Mercado. Um, and well, granted you did, you, that was kind of the, the feeling you went for, um, uh, with the multiple voices too. Yeah. What, did you get a chance to scream in on the voices on that one? Yeah. We all participated in that. That was that's fun. Good. Yeah. That's, but uh, that's one thing. Um, cause I'm only one voice, but it is fun just to shout into a microphone and record it. Um, and see how it sounds. Okay, so is, is there, um, what more do you have to say about the piece? Um, nothing else really comes to mind. Um, when you were talking earlier about sort of my point of view, my motivation for writing it, I was thinking about it in the background. And I think part of why I wanted to write about it is it's really challenging to write a song about, say, white supremacy as it's going on now without offending people. But you can write a song about white supremacy as it was happening 200 years ago. And even the people who are involved in white supremacy now don't have a problem with that. Right. Um, And so uh, one of our band members works for the federal government. So he feels like he needs to be extremely careful that the messages in our songs are nonpartisan, nonpolitical. And so some of the things I might want to write about current events can't do but mm. i can write about this that's so because the whole because i had to deal with that political nightmare as well with my uh musical um i was just doing reading read-throughs of it and then george floyd happened and it's like 
uh, I don't feel comfortable putting this on anymore. Um, so do you want to hear more of that process? Yeah, I'd love to. So I had started writing this musical in 2017 where I had had this vision of a song of being set free from chains, you know, the classic like Christianese kind of worshipy kind of stuff. And then I was like, uh, and, and uh, recently I, I had just seen Aida. Have you ever heard of Aida? I have heard of it, but that's literally all I can say about it. Okay, well, it's, it was written by Elton John, one of my favorite, most all-time favorite musicians ever, songwriters, whatever. And um, it, I had seen it with my cousin, and I just fell in love with it. And it, it's basically about this, it's about slavery as well, uh, about Egyptians and Nubians. And this Anubia princess comes up as a slave, It falls in love with the heir to the throne, and then, you know, all heck, ba- all hell bra- breaks loose because that's not kosher. And they, it's a tragedy. It all, they, everybody ends up dying. Um, and uh, I had noticed this trend recently of if it wasn't Harriet Tubman, all slave stories ended in tragedy. That was kind of the mess, like 12 Years a Slave, Nats Turner Rebellion, all those. They, and that's not to say that they weren't, aren't worth telling at all. But sure. I've just noticed a trend that it's all it's all in defeat, all in you know oppression and uh, these still being in chains. And I'm like, well, uh, why not write something that's different? Because there's so many success stories within uh, slavery, and it sounds kind of wrong to say, but within within the slaves of themselves, like actually escaping, uh, there's. <laughs> One of the stories that I always find really, really inspiring is that this guy, I think his name was Henry, he shipped himself in a box to Philly, and that's how he gained his freedom. And um, there's so many uh, different ways that people got to their freedom while through using your shipping lanes, train lines, and all these other jazz. Uh, So I decided, you know what, I'm going to write a story about that. Uh, Use these fictional characters, but have these real-life events uh, or based on real life events. So I did a mountain ton of research. I even researched train lines of back in the day just to be, cause I, I, I wanted to be as historically accurate as possible because <laughs> that doesn't lead to, uh, cr- uh, bad faith criticism, mm-hmm. put it that way. Um, in which there is a lot of bad faith criticism cause people are, are you know people are people yes and uh so i really wanted to make this as clear as possible that hey i'm not advocating for and f- there was the question of why why are you a white guy writing a bl- uh, you know a black story or why are you writing about slaves are you fantasizing about slaves so it's like well that's not the point the point is that they escape and that you know there's happiness mm-hmm. there, there are tragic moments yes but what's a story without tragedy you know or at least some extent of tragedy or the conflict, we'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so I had a, I had written out the story, and now it was time to get opinions. And I didn't go to the white people for the opinions because you, you, that's not the ones that mattered to me. I really wanted to, uh, and this was right. I think Ferguson happened in like 2015, and um, only from there, it, like BLM became a bigger and bigger movement. And uh, I I grew up in a socially liberal place uh, to the point where I had uh, I had one of my best bestest friends, uh, the same person I still connect with from high school. Uh, they were like 
you're a white guy writing this. I don't think you should do that. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I'll see what, you know, uh, black people think. And so that, that was my goal. And I went to Carlisle uh, for Dickinson University, one of the first, I think, historically black colleges and universities. And uh, I went to the, it was an operatic singer. I forget the name and I don't have <laughs> any evidence of him being there. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's a really shaky one. But uh, I, I did go there. He is, he is a really good singer. He really really cool cool guy older dude broadway singer uh incredible tenor operatic voice i went to one of his recitals and i had asked him because genius me thought i would be able to go in there and just ask and that's not not, that didn't happen uh but i I did find out uh originally i went because they had harriet tubman uh slave exhibit so i wanted to check that out but I also really wanted to get some opinion from a different non-conservative uh, area because I've only lived here where uh, even some, like, like the black population that was involved was, was more conservative. I wanted more of a progressive line of thinking. Mm-hmm. So I went there and I was expecting all sorts of pushback and all sorts of criticism and um, because that's what I was used to at, at, the, at that point. Uh, cancel culture was kind of like a, a growing growing thing and um thankfully or weirdly i should say weirdly the only cr- critics like hard core criticism of like I, you shouldn't do that you're white uh, or that's a bad idea is was from white people <laughs> and uh the amount of encouragement that i i got from this professor was beyond measure i was sitting there just like this and almost in fear of what he was thinking as, as he like listened to the music. And cause I, 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 I grew up in like a, like a black Pentecostal church with, with everybody jumping around and I was around blues and all that jazz a lot. Uh, so I, I've really come to love the blues and, and all that jazz a lot. So I, I really, and you know, that's, that's rooted in, in uh, black history, like w- without African-Americans coming over, they, they are Africans coming over, uh, <laughs> forcefully. They, the, the blues, jazz, um, modern music wouldn't exist. So I definitely wanted to curb that in there to make a, uh, a statement. And um, he had nothing but encouragement. And uh, as long as I could, because I can cite, I don't know if I have the document still, but uh, there was a document where I cited every single line to or like every single scene to like a, a historically accurate event that happened like i've done my research um but uh yeah it, it was all positive support all support and no really negative feedback one one of my friends uh who's a black progressive he said to me well cory is slavery just black history and i was like yeah this is it's part of black history. And it's like, but isn't it also American history? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right about that. And so he had made the point that because it's part of my history as well, that it's it's okay in some aspects or in, or in that aspect that I can I can write about it. And as long as I'm doing the due diligence of making sure that it's historically correct, get this. 
uh, one of the professors at Carlisle, uh, I, I had told her that um, I had asked her for some opinions, and I was like, I'm going to put the vernacular, uh, like African American vernacular, into the into the musical, and she was like, No, why would you ever do that? That's so racist. And I'm like, Well, you want me to put them speaking proper English, something they didn't do, like kind of whitewashing almost, mm-hmm. and and I was so surprised at that because it was this white progressive woman telling me to erase the you know the history of of black people. I'm like. What? You're not supposed to do that. That's <laughs> so that, that was super interesting to me. Um, but uh, he he had um my, my other friend, his name is Sean Thomas. Uh, he really encouraged me and sa- and said, "Listen, if they ever say that you can't write this, then or at least you just shouldn't just listen to it. You should just ignore it outright." And that was that was uh right as as George Floyd happened, and everything in regards to like racial politics kind of exploded. And uh, at that point I was like, maybe I should relax a little bit. And so now, just now I'm feeling more confident talking about it, more confident, uh, uh, doing more stuff with it. I'm getting to the point where it's almost, I have a demo of almost every song and I truly believe that it's some of my best work. Cause I, it's been, I've been at it for five years. It's a long time. It is. A, yeah, it's a long time. Do you have any questions? Have you read the novel The Underground Railroad? I have heard it. Read some pages, not entirely. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. Imagines that the Underground Railroad was an actual railroad and puts things in all kind of different orders. Mm-hmm. You were talking about how your story follows, you know, things that actually happened, um, but this takes a very different t- approach of explaining what happened in the big picture. By making up a bunch of stuff that very clearly didn't happen and couldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one thing I th- I thought was cool about it. It was um kind of the same same kind of vibe almost, but uh, yeah, I, I went for more his- historically accurate uh pieces instead of made up stories because I felt like that would be disingenuous. Mm-hmm. So at this point, that's never been staged. Not yet. Nope. It's only been uh, had had two read throughs, and that was pre twenty twenty. Um, and after that, I tried to do it for my senior recital because I th- I thought people were willing to do it, and it just happens that people were not willing to do that, and that's totally fine, and I completely understand that. So, what's the end game for a project like this? Can you just send it to a bunch of Broadway producers and hope somebody <laughs> reads it and likes it? That would be. I feel like that would be disastrous, <laughs> um, given the the climate politically. Um, I think the end goal would be to workshop it with local theaters, and because that way they know you, and it's not some random Broadway executive. It's not. It's not somebody who's probably has a big ego, or like ha- has this activist my like in their in inert activist mindset um because i I, i'd rather deal with more genuine down-to-earth people who want to see stuff grow and and it's also a community thing too like i don't uh, yeah new york has the economy of whatever but like like people that could draw people to lancaster too and i want to i want to create more of an opportunity locally that you know People in New York City, there's a thousand shows they can choose from. 
at Lancaster, there's only so many, and there's only so many actors, and there are some people who are dedicated to this piece that would that if I could if I called them up and said, hey, I've got I've got auditions for for this musical, will you come? They will say yes, I will come and audition for this piece. So I would much rather have that kind of community to support my work than just some random people in New York City. Sure. I think part of why we're drawn to stories like this is that it's so important that we not forget them. They reveal oh, yes. so much about human character that maybe by remembering we can avoid doing terrible things in the future. I also think it's because we really crave situations with clear good and evil, and mm -hmm. almost everything in the world is in fact nuanced. Yes, there is so. There are certain black and whites, but there's a whole bunch of gray, and. It's been the case that people take that gray and then mold it into black or white, and it's it's just not the case. There there's so many like Gandhi. People people think Gandhi was the best person in the world, but he was actually a horrible racist uh, in South Africa. Called called Africans there the equivalent of the N word in in their language, and uh, advocated for apartheid. Um, just wished that Indians weren't a part of it. <laughs> uh huh. So it's 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 why it's so. But every, every, anyone who's, you know, the lay person who has never heard more about Gandhi besides you know he was world peace guy, would find that shocking. He laid naked with his own niece to, like to. Uh, it was a test of his own moral, uh, so that he wouldn't be tempted to do stuff with his niece. And I'm like, that's more. I would never even put myself in that situation. I wouldn't even think of that. Yeah, it, it's. And yet people put them on a pedestal. And the same thing can be said for a bunch of people. <laughs> Let's move on to a different topic. I think we've explored that one enough. So, yeah, good, good and evil, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of leads itself into religion. And you at one point were a Christian? Yeah, I don't know that I would say I'm not anymore. Okay. It's just complicated. You want to explore that? Sure. I would say something that hasn't changed about me has been true forever is that I don't know whether anything beyond the material world exists. And I don't really think anybody else can know either. And that anybody who tells you they know one way or the other is deluding themselves. Um, unless they've personally had an experience that can't be explained in the, the material world, which I certainly haven't. Have you ever... This is going to go into some uh, trippy territory, but ha have you ever looked into the studies done by the government with like LS LSD and all the all, all like, like MK Ultra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and like um, one of the studies said like all of them went to this place where these like giant ant beings were were there, and like they 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 described the exact same thing, and they were able like they they tried to like navigate through this ultra dimension. I find that stuff so wacky to think about. Yeah. But then again, it's the government. I don't trust the government. So. <laughs> um, so I've got this agnosticism about whether there really is a supernatural world. Mm. Another thing that's been true forever is that humans are storytellers. I really like good stories. The story of basically the Bible, I think, is a really compelling story. Very compelling. Um, it's always been true that I really appreciate continuing in rituals and practices that people have been doing for hundreds of years so you're, you're um, and staying connected to that, I suppose. Mm. 
Um, where I've changed is, for a long time, I felt that participating in the institutional church, especially the evangelical church, because uh, that's what I was involved in, mm-hmm. um, is good for people and good for the world. And that's what's changed. I don't feel that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so whether I'm a Christian or not, I don't know, but I'm not involved in Christianity in any way at this point. What made you switch between that being good and not being good? Well, various things. Um, One of the big problems I have with the church is that it seems like it leads people into an anti-intellectualism, anti-authority. Like, you walk into a church and you'll hear people say, like, if you're sick, don't go to a doctor. Get some essential oils and burn them. If you want to understand what's going on with your, like, psychological self don't go see a psychologist okay that Do the enneagram that that i can understand um and stuff like that so that always bothered me and i always felt really out of place there because it didn't make any sense to me that people would have those kind of views that's interesting to me because oh i uh, i know what you mean by essential oils now okay that makes more sense to me now but um yeah, there there was this whole yeah i that's fair and there was a big <laughs> further shift in 2016 um, right. When the majority of evangelicals didn't just vote because they didn't feel like they had any choice, but actively promoted as the leader of their party and then the leader of the world, the least Christ-like person I've ever seen. Um, and did so while simultaneously saying, like, this person's amazing, was, they're yeah. a Christian, even though anybody who spent any time looking at his record would obviously know that's preposterous. That's fair. Uh, and then the final straw really came in 2019 um, when I was involved in a church that I liked a lot. Um, and we had COVID. Uh, and so the church shut down for a while, as everybody did. And then it started opening back up slowly with rules that you're supposed to wear masks in certain situations and whatnot. And nobody other it, than yeah. me and the leadership team in that church followed the rules that they'd set for themselves. You talk to people, find out people wouldn't get vaccines. They think vaccines, you know, have microchips in them or something. Like, there just seems to be a total disconnect between the average person in an evangelical church and reality. Um, And I just couldn't see myself continuing in that. That's fair. Yeah, there there was... There's always been an ideological split within the church. However, I feel like in the past four years, especially it's, it's just been wedged so much deeper. There's always been a a Christian right to be said. Yeah. Politically. Um, However, it it feels like, because you're right. There was, there was in in like 2016 and 2020 and 2019, uh, there was a gigantic shift away from uh, like just thinking for yourselves, because if if you think about if you think about the idea of of a vaccine having a microchip for like two seconds, um, it, we don't, first off, I don't believe we have the technology to do that. That's first off. Second off, if they wanted to do that, they wouldn't. You know, it, it, there's so there's uh, Occam's razor. You ever heard that term? Sure. Yeah, the, the least amount of assumptions is probably the most likely answer. It's it's just wild to think that some people would think that. I can I can to a certain extent understand the anti-authoritarianism. Uh, I'm I'm typically a uh, a libertarian on most most things. Um, 
because I, I just don't believe that government is the right way to go about certain aspects. And I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like they do a lot of wrong with wars and everything. So, mm-hmm. I, so but um, in, in regards to just, and to be fair, the media hasn't done a good job either. Uh, there, it's, it's, I feel like they're so complicated to the point where you either attach to the ideology way over here or the reality of the ideology way over here. But if you're in the middle, you are lambasted by both sides mm-hmm. and there, there, there is no way you can navigate that. Um, it's, it's, it's so, and that has drawn a lot of people away from their church as an institution. But do you still follow Christ like biblically at all? Or is that still, is that in question for you as well? I don't really know what that means. So you, you're like, okay, church, church is a mess, but I know that Christ is still savior. I would say I never knew that. I hoped it. I thought it was a good story. I liked, you know, the way that that story interacted with my life. Did I ever know it? No. Okay, so were you ever baptized? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, interesting. I guess maybe I would say I knew it at 12. Right. But then I grew up and realized, like we were talking about, the world is far more complex than it initially appears to be. Okay, so you kind of like uh, walked away almost from your faith? Or like or maybe pushed away? Yeah. It's just different than different. it was. Fair enough. Um, okay. That's interesting. Because over my years, I've there's definitely been a lot of push and pull for Christianity for me. Uh, my mother died. Here's the, here's the quick and short of my life. Uh, I, I was born. That's one. Uh, two, I, I, we, the market crash happened in 08 or around that time. And we lost our house. Uh, by complete coincidence, quote, quote unquote, God, um, uh, a stroke of God, my, my grandmother chose to move closer to my mother. Uh, she was all the way out in Pittsburgh. And uh, so we, got, we had the chance to move in with her. Right after that, in like 2012, what seems to be right after that, at least in my you know, 12-year-old brain, my mother dies. Out of, out of the blue heart attack at 40 years old which is unheard of in most most spaces uh and right uh before that before even all of that there's just abuse going on in the family my parents are uh both both cigarette addicts alcoholics and my mother cheats and my dad gets angry put it that way i had to call the cops on my dad and put him in jail and um so all of this trauma building, building up definitely led me away from God. Um, but after all of that is where stuff gets interesting because I start to start to connect these dots of like, what what was the chance of my grandmother moving over to, uh, cause she, she has family over in Pittsburgh as well. That's why she was there. She, she had another daughter there. Mm-hmm. So what, 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 what's the chances of her moving over just this, just to be with her other daughter, you know what I mean? Um, what what's the chances that at at this particular point in time that we lose our house? What is this chance? And when my mother died, it, she was an organ donor, and this is probably one of, one of the things that drew me to Christ 
back the fastest was that uh, the doctors could not use her organs because they were so messed up from cigarettes, alcohol, whatever. So had she had lived longer, she would have had been in immense pain, had be in a hospital almost like 24-7, would have been this gigantic, I don't want to say burden, but that's what it would have been for us. Like, we're not financially the best best scenario so it would have drowned drowned drained us of all of our resources and i don't think that i wouldn't i would not have wanted my mother to live that life of constant pain and i think that is what really drew me back to christ and god because i was i was i was pointing the finger at me it's like why are you taking it from me why why did you how dare you take my mother away from me blah 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 I was being so selfish about it. And then and then God was like, well, if you wanted it your way, you know, you would have had to see your mother go into like a wheelchair. You have to see your mother uh, not know who she is, not be able to walk, not be able to do all these different things. And you, you would have to watch her suffer. And that would not be fun. I, my My mother watched her dad's Go and go into that where he would just not eat, and he she literally watched him starve. That's what happened to him. He starved to death. Um, so I I really do think that's what, I know for a fact that's what got me back to God quickly is is knowing His plan, and I don't know how deep you were in the Christian, but that's how I view it at least, and being able to trust that everything will be okay. Yeah. Cool. Any, any questions? Uh, I guess the question is, how deep were you into theology at all? Um, reasonably deep. So, like, another thing that frustrates me about churches is that you go there and the pastor says, here's what this scripture means. I would much rather they said, here's what I think the scripture means. Here's what Bart thought the scripture means. Mm. Here's what Augustine thought the scripture mm. means. Here's what the Orthodox Church thinks the scripture means. Here's the background information about the culture of the person who wrote this and who they were writing to. Mm -hmm. That there's not a interpretation of a 2,000-year-old book. There's many interpretations. Um, and to just pretend that everything is easy and simple and wrapped up just infantilizes people. I, I'll push back slightly on that. Um, I do believe that the Bible was written in a time and a place for specific uh, purposes. However, I will agree with you that people who just take one solid because we don't know the the we don't know the direct interpretation of some verses. Some verses are very clear, uh, like the the verse that often gets misused that I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul, um, he was he was talking about relying on on the 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 faith throughout all of his uh, problems, like, you know, being jailed, being threatened with death. Mm -hmm. That's very clear. But uh, of all the other stuff, I, and I will agree with you that pastors who say, I have the definitive knowledge and know what this verse means, I'm going to err a lot of times on that they're wrong. Uh, because you do have to do the hermi hermin hermeneutic. That's the one. Hermeneutics. Of of the Bible, and that's what that's what I really loved about about the school is that you would uh, 
you would go through a passage and you would learn, okay, the, uh, John was a uh, physicist, I think, John? A physician. Physician. Yeah, he was like a doctor. And so it, his language is, but he was also like an artist, so his, his language is more more diverse. Mark was a writer. He was very concise. That's why his book is the shortest of the Gospels. He was, it was very to the point. And uh, he was writing specifically, I think he was writing specifically to the Jews. Um, I could be wrong on that. It's, it's been been like three years but uh it, it was there, there was a time and a purpose and a place for all other things like people take um paul's verses like women should be quiet in church out of context all the time mm-hmm. it, um it's it's not means they shouldn't be you shouldn't talk ever it's it, it was more like a, a cultural thing at the time that hey when the pastor's speaking everybody should be quiet including like no gossip between women or no no whining from children you take a child out of the of the time or and that's that's just one interpretation of that uh, that might not even be the case we don't even know the uh that's that's the what's been most likely the case but we don't know mm-hmm. and we'll never know until uh we die and maybe go to heaven maybe go to hell if that even exists in in uh the grand scheme of things um because like you said we don't know for sure and we can't know for sure unless we Go there for sure, and there's no way back from that for sure, and that's the that's the issue. Yeah. Moving on from religion, I think I feel like we've, right. we've expanded on that enough. Unless there's Sounds anything good. more you want to say? No. What's it like to uh, another stroke of faith? What is it like to be a dad? <laughs> um, well, it's great and frustrating and beautiful and terrifying. That's a very apt description. So. You, you had said you, you had children, are you comfortable saying their ages? Sure, eight, six, and two. So that, um, for those of you not having children, that's a, a wide range. You have the terrible twos. You have six-year-old where they, they're almost out of the phase of taking everything, everything literally. And when I mean literally, having teaching kids, I'll put, uh, put your hands up and they'll just, like, that's not what I meant, but fair enough. I'll give it to you. Um, and then eight year old is is where they're on the brink of the rebel age. Mm-hmm. So, and one of your songs directly relates to your to your child. Do you want to talk about that at all? Sure. So, all three of my children were born quite prematurely. Oh, really? Um, yeah, due to my wife having preeclampsia. What does so, that mean? Um, it we don't know exactly what caused it. Um, but the effect is uh, significantly elevated blood pressure in um the mother uh and eventually if it you don't do something about it organ damage um, and potential fetal death so that's not fun yeah so for from like i don't know week 24 or something uh basically she was in the hospital being monitored around the clock with steadily increasing medicines as it got worse until reaching the point of saying, okay, we got to get this baby out of here now, um, which is usually far before the normal 40-week period. What was the youngest? Uh, I should really know that. I'm not going to blame you. One of them was 32 and a half. I don't remember if one was earlier than that or not. I think one was maybe more like 30. Um, But in any case, they had to spend quite a lot of time... um, in the neonatal intensive unit at the hospital before they could come home. Um, And so they've all sort of been delayed in picking up normal skills because they're actually like two months younger than what they appear to be in a sense. 
Um, and so my two-year-old right now basically knows three words, mama, up, 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 and uh, occasionally something else. But you'll hear something like once and never again. So mm. there's like no verbal communication with her. Mm. Um, and of course that was true when they were younger too. So all three of them, while they all have very different personalities these days, for the first year, certainly, maybe a bit more of their life, they mostly just wanted to be held by somebody who was moving at all hours of the day, every makes, day of the week. That makes sense. So I spent a ton of time walking around in circles holding them. <laughs> um, and while doing so, I would sing them songs about like whatever we're doing. Uh, and so this kind of grew out of that, was thinking about what are they trying to say? They can't verbalize it. Um, but they know something's very wrong with me. Somebody's got to fix it. I can't tell them what to do, but they're going to have to figure it out. All I can do is cry and get their attention. Yes. Right. Yeah, so that is the context of me, 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 now, 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 now. Uh, is there is there a shorter shorter version of that? Um, no, it's actually much longer than that. <laughs> it is much longer than that. that was... I believe the full title is something like, I want, I want, I want, I want, me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. Something like that. Um, which I did not come up with. One of my bandmates did. Oh, really? uh, apparently, it's a quote from the movie Hook. I would not know that reference. Yeah, me neither. But it seemed to fit well. It, yes, it, it does. So we're going to listen to that and then talk more about that. Done. 
that was I want, I want, I want, me, 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 my, 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 mine, now, now, now. Something like that. That sounds right. Yeah. So uh, this is from the narrative or the uh, perspective of the child screaming at you what they're saying, but all, all, all that. So it's, it's like, look who's talking now. Where yes. we have we have the perspective of the baby where we can clearly we can understand the baby, but all the parents are hearing wah wah wah. It's almost like the Charlie Brown parents uh-huh. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So um the and this came from about you having to physically carry your children around for a extended amount of periods of time. Yes. And you I assume you started to notice some patterns. Sure. Uh, it, well, I could be wrong. You you can tell me that I'm wrong. If I don't know exactly wrong. what you mean by it. patterns and what. Um, in the way that, so. The way a pers- a, a child, from my experience, and that, that's a little bit limited, but um, the way that they cry for food is different. The way they cry to be changed, the way they, or the way they react or respond mm-hmm. to needing uh comfort or love or just. You know, they have their different responses to different things. Would you say that's right or wrong? So I've been told that many times. Never figured it out myself. Mm. You have to use context and try things and see what works. I never could say, like, that is a hungry cry. That is a wants-to-be-held cry. That's, that's... You just rule out the most common things first until you get down to something that works. That was my experience. There's also that. Some, I, I, some of the kids uh, that I have dealt with are like that, where you just have to... All right, I guess I'll try this toy, or I'll try this this you know snack, or that I I guess it depends on the kid. Yeah. Um, there have been a lot of kids though that are very animated, and it's. Have you ever? Do you find physical humor funny, like slapstick? Yeah. Have you ever had to hold the urge to laugh at your kid? All the time. <laughs> well, maybe not all the time, but yes, that has definitely happened. There, there are some kids at the pool that are very funny when they're angry because they'll they'll scrunch up all mad like a cartoon villain and then stamp their foot and and I'm like, this is the funniest thing in the entire world and I cannot laugh because that will make it ten times worse. Yes. How how have you uh, dealt with that? Um, pretty much just how you said. Same like, thing. Turn away so they can't see you. Um, what, so having children, um, being a professor, uh, are you a doc? You are a doctor, right? You could do yes. a doctor degree. Um, Dr. Hogue. Um, so having to man, and then also doing Ford the River, uh, what is it like balancing your life between your work, your band, your children, and well, essentially your family? Yeah. Well, the bad thing about my job is that it will eat as much time as you will give it because anything you're going to do can always be better. And, prof- and the professor or the music? The professor. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you know, I could design a new way of explaining some concept to you and iterate over it several times until I find the one I like and then decide, actually, I don't like that one. I'll go back to the other one. So you can design your own curriculum? Almost. Yes. Okay, that's cool. I know that. So it can take a lot of time, but the good thing about it is when you spend that time, it's pretty flexible. Mm. I only have like 12 hours a week that I'm actually in a classroom. Oh, wow. Um, and the rest of my time is grading and preparing and in theory doing research and meeting <laughs> with students one-on-one. Uh, and I can generally do that stuff whenever, mm-hmm. um, which has been very nice. It's like 
Um, now my oldest kid is in second grade. He gets on a school bus at 8.30. He gets off a school bus at 3.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've always been able to be there to put him on the bus at 8.30, um, be there to pick him up at 3.30 and fit all of my class time in between those. That's cool. Are your two and then four-year-old not school? Um, two and six. The two six-year-old six, is in kindergarten, um, not at our local school district because that is half day and I can't fit everything into a morning or an afternoon. Right. Uh, so he goes to a private kindergarten called the Jenkins School. Okay. Um, and the two-year-old is currently just bouncing between one day a week, I'm home, one day a week, my wife's home, and three days a week, either my mother or her mother or my sister are home with her. Okay, so because uh, your your wife being a physician? Yes. Right? Uh, uh, what, what kind of physician? Are there, I, I feel like there's a few types. Family medicine. Family medicine, okay. Uh, well, well, she's a great mother then, probably. <laughs> It has definitely helped in many ways. Anytime something that involves like somebody getting hurt or anything like that happens, I can just say, you're the expert. Figure it out. Listen, this I'll is just all do whatever you. you tell me. This is, yeah, right. Your hands off at that point. Oh, well, you tell me what to do. I'm exactly. listening to you. One, one of the most interesting things I learned about babies is how actually fragile they are. Mm-hmm. Like um, working with kids and toddlers, like teaching them how to swim, having them float on their backs and you know, twist, turning them underwater um, in a very nice, healthy way. Not like ISR. <laughs> Have you ever heard of ISR? No. It's where they literally throw babies in the water and make and hope they float. They figure it out? Yeah. Yeah, it's utterly depraved in some aspects. But um, uh, I didn't realize that if you do one wrong move, you can dislocate a shoulder without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's... I've learned a lot about children, thank God, because if I didn't know the things I knew now about children, I I probably would have been like one of the worst dads ever uh, because I just wouldn't have known. I just wouldn't have known what what they need. Um, And I feel like that's that's a damage done to society. How did you, were you ever, I guess your wife has always been training to be a physician. So you were kind of, did she kind of like teach you or was it more of like a, uh, this is happening. What do I do? <laughs> well, yeah, by the time we had our first kid, she was already a physician. I don't know that she trained me so much, at least not in any way that any other more responsible parent wouldn't do for the less responsible parent. But yeah, you just kind of learn by experience. Um, it's interesting what you said about the being so fragile. I find kind of the opposite. They're remarkably resilient. Uh, my six-year-old fell off a slide that was, like, taller than me a few weeks ago. He's fine. If I did yeah, that, I would not would, be fine. He would not be fine. So I, I, so the theory that I think, I'm pretty sure that it is, it's, it's more, uh, where, where it's more blunt force, it's, they're more resilient. Where it's, like, uh, tactile, it's, that's, that's where they get fragile at because their bones aren't really formed yet. So they can mm-hmm. take, they can take a hit to, like, the shoulder or the back or, even the head at some points because, and they'll be completely fine. It's more of the, of the movements of, of those limbs that really matter. Uh, and being in a swimming class, having to move their arms and legs, that's where it's, it gets kind of dangerous. If you twist a little bit and it goes, whoop, because they're, you know, their bones aren't really uh-huh. formed or attached yet. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so and, yeah. So with the, pretty flexible schedule I have, I'm able to spend a lot of time with the kids and do a lot of my work in the evenings. That's good. Um, so at this point, all my kids are in bed by eight o'clock 
And then like eight to 12 is my work period to get ready for the next day. Has, um, being in, in a music career, does your wife support that? How is, how does that relationship work out? Um, she certainly supports it. Yes. Um, the, the first song on our debut album is also one I wrote, though not one we have to play here. And it starts out by saying our biggest fans are six years old, which would be at the time my six-year-old is now eight. And our singer also has a pair of twins about that age. Um, is it? Biggest fans are just six years old. CDs and t-shirts are going unsold. Even our wives think this is a joke. Yeah. <laughs> They'll tolerate it until we go broke. So yeah, that would actually that be a good way to describe uh, my wife's relationship with it. She's actually totally supportive of me. Um, you know, does a lot of work that she wouldn't have to do if I were around at times. Mm. Um, but also thinks the whole thing is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and it is. In fact, that whole song is about how ridiculous it is to be an almost 40-year-old playing in a punk band. Yeah, that, that, that's that's very punkish of you to like state that as well. It's it's it brings a full circle almost. Um, that's cool. Cause um, do you think that? Well, given your, uh, I guess you're not spending a lot of a lot of time as I thought, maybe in the classroom, but more of uh, at home kind of. And then whenever you have a meeting, I guess you can go on Zoom or... These days you can. Yeah, yeah right. the one good thing that came out of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, so I very frequently meet with students at like 9 p.m. through Zoom. It works for my schedule and usually it works better for their schedule yes. than any other time of day too. So, so you get a lot of time at home or a significant amount of time at home with your kids and you feel like you are balancing... Are you, are, are you a developmental nerd of like child psychology at all no i don't think so no because there's so many studies that, like the little things that really change a person at that age uh whether it's just not saying goodbye not giving uh -huh. them a hug and like stuff like that so and i i was rather depraved of that as a child because my dad was a uh, gigging musician do you feel like you have uh done a healthy been a healthy uh relationship with your children in that aspect yeah i do uh, and so we talked about how I balance my job. How I balance Ford the River is that it was originally advertised as a casual band, mm -hmm. um, and that's very much what it is. So, so we, we rehearse once a week for two hours. It's after my kids are in bed, so that doesn't really affect oh, them at all. Yeah. We play one to two shows a month. They're usually pretty close by and start around the kids' bedtime. So like twice a month, I'm not there for bedtime, but it's not really a big deal. Yeah, no, that's not that bad at all. What... If we were, you know, going on tour across the country, I would be bowing out of the band because I can't do that. Right. But neither can any of the other ones. That's why it was great to find three people in a similar situation to us. So do you think you would ever show your kids your music? Oh, uh, my kids are very familiar with my music. Oh, they are? Yes. What do they think? Um, well, so that song said, our biggest fans are six-year-old, referring oh, to so what was then that, yeah. my eight-year-old and the singer's kids. Now my eight-year-old kind of doesn't care about it, but my new six-year-old is absolutely our biggest fan. You play him a couple seconds of any one of our songs, he'll tell you the title of it. He knows it better than I do. Really? He asks to listen to it all the time if um, we're in the car. Uh, we made a music video for one of our um, songs, which was really fun, yeah. uh, and he's probably watched that 300 times on YouTube. That's, that's incredible. Uh, so... Are you, because some of them are explicit, are you not worried 
Yeah, I just decided to not be worried. They don't really pay attention to it. So at least for now. At least for now. Uh, So do you worry that um, maybe they're building like an idol out of you? No. I mean, they still see me very much as like their dumb dad who doesn't get it. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. That's good. It seems like you have a, a good control over it. I think so. That's good. Um, a lot of people aren't afforded that that kind of stability. Mm-hmm. Um, so talking, going back to talking about the band, uh, as a dad punk band, everyone in there is a dad, right? Not everyone. Not everyone. Uh, the lead guitarist is not a dad, but everybody no. else is. Um, well, that's interesting. So they so they all have to deal with their other issues too and i guess eventually if if they're willing i could have them on and talk about it sure um because i i would be interested if any of them would be interested um my wi-fi is not working this is wonderful (laughs) uh because there are questions that we because at some point you had to get rid of a drummer or the drummer left i i Mm -hmm. forget which 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 end or well, what happened is we had been scheduled to play our first show in March of 2019, or maybe April. So you can guess how that happened. Mm-hmm. It didn't it because didn't. of COVID. Yep. Uh, and then there was a long period of time when obviously we weren't playing shows because nobody was leaving their house unnecessarily for any reason. Uh, and then I guess it was summer 2020, things started opening up, caseloads went way down. It became reasonable to imagine going into a venue and playing music in front of people. Yep. And so we started trying to book shows because after all, that's what bands do. Um, And the drummer we had at the time was just never available slash didn't quite seem interested. Um, And after a while, we just decided like, we love you as a guy. We love you as a drummer, but we need a person here who wants to play out uh, and you don't. So we're going to find somebody else. So, yeah. So I've had this situation with work sometimes where, um, (laughs) Um, where I feel like I can do the work and then I, I get there and it's like, mm. but I guess they love me as a person and they, and they love me uh, as like, and they, they love me as a person, but as a coworker, I'm not cutting it. And it's not bad blood, not necessarily, un- unless maybe this turned into, no. okay. So it's just a, a mutual release and you, so you had, you Posted a Craigslist ad? No. Okay. Um, so first of all, as far as asking him to leave, thankfully I didn't have to do that. Um, the other people in the band, um, the lead singer guy is like a big sales manager. So, so he's he very familiar with dealing with personnel. Just let him do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very non-confrontational. Would not have been able to have that conversation. Um, so I'm sure we did advertise for a new drummer, um, but we're not successful. Mm. Um, so in the meantime... Uh, our lead guitarist's twin brother, Alex, who is not a drummer, um, but uh, like you, plays lots of instruments at at least an okay level, um, mm-hmm. decided to come and play drums for us. That's cool. Um, I was going to say, if you ever ever need to know other drummers, I've got a list. I'll that keep I can, that in mind, yeah. I can reference you to. Um, some of which are dads. So that would be right good. in, yeah. Yes. Uh, so... Um, Speaking on how you are not confrontational, you also said you're kind of an introvert. Mm-hmm. You want to explore that a bit more? Sure. Um, I don't think we hit that one yet. No. Uh, what I said to you earlier is that I think the word introvert is overused by people. 
I think the actual definition of an introvert is somebody who needs time alone to recharge their internal mental energies. And I don't really think that's true of me at all. Mm. I'm just a person who has social anxiety and shyness. Um, and so we did actually talk a bit about how I'm very comfortable in places where I have a defined role and I can do that role. Just like making small talk with random people is very, very difficult for me. So you would never go up to a person at a bar and start start a conversation? No. Many of your other um, guests on here have talked about the networking possibilities mm -hmm. of going to shows and talking to people. I can't Not do you. that. No. Um, you would, uh, so you would... Uh... So you would rather do, reach out to other people and be like, hey, I want to be on this show and then talk about this. And that would be much more comfortable for you. Yes. That seems almost weird in, in the fact that uh, – because I – well, I guess – because you're still reaching out to a stranger. Yes. But it, it's with a purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. And often by email instead of having a conversation. That's also fair. Yeah. That's interesting. So I kind of talked about how um, – I, because I do believe I'm an introvert, because uh, I do need that time to recharge. And after I've been at a social event for a while, little while, I'm like, I'm gonna go on my phone and just not deal with anybody around me. Uh huh. Um, but um, the term shy extrovert popped up recently in one of my timelines, and I feel like that better describes me, because I, a shy extrovert, someone who likes to be the attention or center of attention, likes to have this spotlight beamed on them. And likes to be, you know, all the all the extroverty stuff. It's just getting there mm -hmm. and uh, being placed there is, is the problem. Like, like for example, I would never be able to. Um, I've been getting better at this, but even doing this, like talking to you like this, creating questions in my head like uh, like this, this is something I could not do a year ago, not at all. The only reason why I have this ability is because I dated a girl who came up with these ridiculous, insanely good questions. And so I, I, I definitely picked up on that. You've gotten very good at it, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I, it was one of my biggest concerns doing this because I'm not, I'm, I'm, like I said, this is a new thing for me. I've never uh, interviewed anybody in my entire life, never had to think of questions on the spot because uh, we go on tangents. We've been going on tangents. Yeah. And then creating questions that are simultaneously in interesting and relatable. Um, so that's I, I could I, I could ask you what animal would you like to be right now, but that's <laughs> that's not related to anything. Yes. Um, the uh, so definitely being a, a shy extrovert is what I would probably consider myself now. Even though I definitely do need to have that time to recharge, I do like being the center of attention. I was uh, Shrek in the musical. Uh, an introvert doesn't go out and or it's hard it's rare that i've seen a musical theater introvert mm -hmm. um so it, it makes a lot more more sense to me than being a uh solely just an introvert i'll tell you a brief story about musical theater in high school go for it um because i also got involved in it um not really because i wanted to um but because after my freshman year of school um they took some number of the most exceptional students and said, you're invited to join the National Honor Society, I think is what it's called. Yep. And I was not among them. Um, and I'd been told, like, this is important if you want to go get into a good college, whatever, you should be part right. of the National oh, Honor Society. Propaganda. So I asked about, you know, what do I need to do to be a better candidate for this? And I said, well, you need to get involved in more things. Um, and so the musical was like a pretty big deal at my school. And I was already singing in the chorus, not well. 
but singing. Singing. So I was like, fine, next year I'll do the musical. Um, so we were doing The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah? Um, and during like the first day, everybody wants to be in the chorus is hanging out, and they're assigning little roles. Uh, and they say, who wants to be the, um, the Lollipop Guild? Three guys yes. who in the first yep. scene come out and like kick their legs and sing, yep. we represent uh, the uh, Lollipop Guild. Guild. Yep, that's right. Yes. So one, two of my friends decided that the three of us would do that. So I was like, <laughs> fine, I will be a member of the Lollipop Guild. And so they said, okay, go back and see whoever the choreographer is to talk about your dance steps. So we go there and she says, oh, good, some male dancers. We haven't had any male dancers yet. And we no. said, no, no, we're here just for this one role. And she said, no, you're not. You're going to do all, all of things. the dancing. Yep. Uh, and I certainly never saw myself as a dancer. Um, would never in a million years have raised my hand and volunteered for that job. Um, but did it and probably learned some valuable things from it that allow me to be in front of people and comfortable, even making myself ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I will say I took ballet um at, and college because i figured no it wasn't ballet it was like fundamentals of dance but ballet was a big part of it um and only because first of all you had to have a pe and i could i granted i did do soccer basketball baseball and all this stuff when i was a kid but i was i was not in shape at this point so i figured well dance isn't that hard it's a lot of pilates stuff meaning using your using your body as as like counterweight mm-hmm um, instead of using weights, you use your body, which is taxing, to say the least. Uh, but uh, it's it would also be helpful for me to for my musical when I had to figure out dance choreography. I, now, yeah. I, now I know what what moves go where, and then, and then we had to make our own routine. So we made we made a routine to Portals from Endgame. Uh, you ever seen Marvels? No. Oh uh, well, it's it's the. Uh, it's like the final scene in in the like the biggest saga of superheroes, um, where all the all the uh, superheroes come back and fight the big bad guy. So it's just really epic piece fanfare kind of mm-hmm. thing. It was a lot of fun. Um, but um, one thing I, I kind of want to talk to you about it, if we're moving on from this introvert sure, thing, I think we could. Okay, uh, is the whole call. Because I, 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 I had called prop, uh, the, NA, the NHS being like getting into a good college kind of propaganda. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Because uh, there are certainly predatory colleges that seek to put people into debt and mm-hmm. they, they can't, you know, people that shouldn't have gone to college, not because they weren't good enough to go to college, but because they just didn't have the resources and they didn't have to go right. to college to do what they wanted to do. Um, I think being a person who sees college students all the time, I'm now aware that college admissions is actually not nearly as competitive as people made it sound to be. Like there are definitely people at my college that frankly probably shouldn't be there. (laughs) Um, so if you're not trying to get into a super elite school, which I don't recommend you do, uh, I don't think you actually have to worry that much about, will I be able to get into college? Um, that said, it can certainly benefit you to be remarkable. Uh, I basically got to go to college for free. My tuition was paid for, um, because I was a national merit scholar, Mm. uh, which only means basically that I scored really well on the practice SAT. Um, but it was to the college's benefit to be able to say, we've got 27 national merit scholars in our, you know, graduating class. So they offered anybody who had that. Um, a scholarship that paid for most of the tuition. Gotcha. So, 
I guess you you didn't really have the experience of like the paying off the debt and then doing all that jazz. That's not for myself, uh, for but my stuff. wife has plenty of oh, debt. Uh, medical school is preposterously expensive on yeah. top of um, you know undergraduate work, and so we'll be paying that off for some time. To be, I don't want to say rightly so, but um, it there's I. I understand why this college is for med students and all that jazz, as opposed to like plumbers or like electricians, where you can get like an apprenticeship and work through that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can definitely understand why med school would be important to have, not very much an apprenticeship, but actual learning. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any other thoughts on that, or? Um, so you're talking about predatory schools. They certainly exist. Um, ones that are for profit. Nobody should ever attend a for-profit university or college under any circumstances. It's never the right thing for you. Why? Um, Because their mission is to make money. Go to your local small university, liberal arts college, your community college is going to be super cheap. All those places have their mission to educate you. Yeah, and the bonus of going to a community college, you can get all your gen eds out of the way for much cheaper and then go to like a university that has like a solid program or whatever you want to do. Yeah. And then that way you're not spending two or three, sometimes three years of, or at least four semesters of your college life on, you know, public speaking, basic math, stuff that you probably already know at the, or at least stuff that I knew at this point, mm-hmm. um, that should, should not have, don't have any impact on your career at all. Yeah. Granted, I, I do appreciate the public speaking, though, because that could come in handy. <laughs> I guess so. Um, I will offer a big caveat on that, mm. which is, yes, I agree it's great to get a bunch of your coursework out of way at community college, but know exactly what you're planning to do before you start that, where you're eventually going to transfer, what yes, courses are going to transfer, because it happens way too often that somebody comes to us having spent two years at community college and taken effectively nothing relevant to their major. So there's no way they're going to graduate in two years at our school. Right. So even though they got some credits done cheaply, they end up spending more time in school and paying more that way. Really? Yeah, I did, I did know that it's important to plan. And that, that whether you should never be for, you should never think I should go to college just because everybody else goes to college and that's why I need to get a good job. That's not true whatsoever. Definitely not. That's, that is the propaganda I've been talking about. Mm-hmm. The propaganda that the boomers and the Gen Xers and told the millennials. And now there's all this debt. And now there's, there's uh, like, and, and think, think about this There's what was like trillions of dollars in debt and only what 13% of the population that has gone to college. Oh, it's gotta be higher than that. No, no, it's 13%. Yeah. And then uh, I I think it's 68% of that is all graduate degrees. Is where all that debt comes from. Yes. Um, so it's it's a lot of you don't you don't have to go to college to get a good job. You don't have to. Granted, if you want to be a doctor, you should probably go to college. If you want to, if it, but if you want to be like an electrician or do something with your hands, that's that's readily available at trade jobs or uh, apprenticeships. Mm-hmm. And at, at that point, college is just extra brownie points. You don't need that to because. If you're going to be a really good plumber, you're going to have to be a really good plumber. Right. You can't get that a degree. Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned that I've definitely seen people at all the schools I've worked at who probably shouldn't be there. It's really hard to tell them that, though. 
because they're, you know, mm-hmm. working toward achieving their dream or trying to anyway. That was an interesting conversation I had um, recently with uh, Dr. Rob Bigley. Uh, he's the director of choral studies here at LVC. I believe that's his title. Um, but one of his most, I had asked him, what's, what, what is one of the biggest mistakes students make? And he had said not being realistic or not leaning into, like, cause there's types within musical theater. You, you got the mother type, you got the, you know, the lead, the perfect lead. And then you have like the, the, the father figure or the big buff guy who's always cast as the maybe evil or sidekick or whatever. And, uh, people come into, to, uh, these colleges expecting, Oh, I'm going to get the perfect lead because I, I am this talented or I want to do that. And they miss out on a lot, a ton of opportunity because they are so narrow minded and don't want to be typecasted. Mm -hmm. Um, what is, what is one mistake that you have seen? throughout your students? Well, the mistake I'm really referring to is people who take a course, don't earn a passing grade in it, take it again, don't do anything differently, don't earn a passing grade again, Mm. maybe then do it again a third time, um, and never take advantage of the advice they're given about how they could improve their skills, things like that. So it's just a bunch of ego breaking, you think? I don't know what it is. In Mm. many cases, though certainly not always, when somebody's not passing a course, it's because there's just a bunch of work that they were assigned to do and they didn't do it. Right. Um, and sometimes that may be because they have a really busy life. They're also working 40 hours a week and taking care of kids. Um, and sometimes it's because their mental health is a mess and they just can't make themselves work on stuff. And sometimes it's just because they're too addicted to Elden Ring. Uh, <laughs> and it's hard um, from my perspective to know which one of those situations somebody's in to try to help them. Have you ever had to have, I guess you're non-confrontational, so I guess the answer is no. You never had to have, you never forced yourself to have that hard talk? Um, I have. Okay. Yeah, it's very unpleasant. Um, less unpleasant, actually, than the talk about, here's the evidence that you plagiarized. That's really? absolutely the worst part of the job. Oh, wow. Here's something I've always wanted to know. How do you find plagiarized work? I, I I know it's kind of it might be as simple as just like typing it in and googling, but how do you know if it's been plagiarized? Like how do you just guess? This sounds like something I've heard before. Or how does that work for you? So the stuff that I'm grading is computer code, not like papers. Fair um, enough. Okay. Most of the time, <laughs> and I'm sure there's some amounts of cheating that I don't see, but it's often extremely blatant. Like they're using things right. you've never taught them. You ask them to explain it, they have no idea how it works. Um, or you can just search for this chunk of it and find it on the web. So it, so it's literally just a... Yeah, that makes more sense to me than... Okay, I didn't really think that through. Because <laughs> I, I, I've BS so many papers. Um, not college papers, but definitely high school papers. Because I, 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 I liked my college work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't like my high school work. Um, but I would, ne- I would never get... I guess BSing is different than plagiarizing, but I, I would definitely, uh, definitely spark notes a book report and put that into my my own words. Uh huh. Um, and never get caught. But uh, so I guess that's. Uh, but with code, you literally have to do the work, and like you, there's there is no work around. Besides, you either do it or you cheat. Right. 
is the program has to actually work. Yeah. And if you just put a ran- bunch of random words in order, the chances of it working is approximately zero. <laughs> so either you do it yourself or you take a working version from somebody else. Yeah, There's really no like doing it poorly. Fair enough. Well, I do want to get to this last song. We we are going for a long time. Um, this is probably the last topic we'll talk about. We'll talk we'll talk about Penn's Woods there and back, which is about. So uh, it started out as a song about all the places I've lived in Pennsylvania and the things I loved about them, uh, but then it sort of became a more melancholy song about how. When you leave a place and a group of people, you can't ever really go back and have it be the same. Mm. Um, And then that then merged with a sense that um, a lot of places that I would have bought records at or gone to see shows at don't exist anymore. And that's Mm. really sad. So it's it's a reminiscing song in some aspects. Mm -hmm. And maybe a little regret? Uh, I don't think regret would really be the right word, but um, like the bittersweet side of nostalgia. Gotcha. Wishing you could get back to that because you miss it. And this is a song you wrote? It is. Uh, And it is called There in Penn's Woods, Mm -hmm. There and Back Again. Yes. Strangers are living where my friends are 
That was Penn Woods, There and Back Again, written by yours truly, Dr. Hogue, Dr. Chad Hogue. Um, so, it's all life, isn't it, uh, about moving places, uh, time mo- moving forward, the eventuality that relationships are always changing, even in, in, even in the present. Is how do you deal with having to move from these different places and then making all these different connections and then all of a sudden having to move again? Well, in general, I hate change of any kind. I'd be perfectly happy to have my world stay the same forever. Um, but that's not the way it works. So not the way it works. The move from Bethlehem to Williamsport was just that's where you've got to go because that's where your wife's getting residency. Um, The move back here was much easier because we specifically chose to live here because my parents and sisters live about 45 minutes east of here and my wife's parents and sister live about 45 minutes west of here. So it's a really nice central location. Yeah, perfect for us. Did you guys make any meaningful, I assume you made some meaningful connections down in Williamsport. Absolutely. Do you connect with them at all? Not really. Through Facebook, things like that. But nothing much else? No. Yeah, that's. Um, do you still connect at all with your high school friends? Again, not really. Um, once every couple of years. For like the re- reunions or whatever? Maybe? Well, not at like official ones that have 200 people at them, but right. like little reunions of five or six people who get choose to get together. Yeah, that's some... It's. It's been interesting. Uh, me just graduating in 2021 and then having like... Well, for, well, this is it's weird because my uh, the MWPA uh, department it can be very segregated in that there's the musical theater majors and then there's everybody else, <laughs> and you know all the musical theater majors are in there spending time with each other tw- almost twenty four seven and then really seeing like every like it, it's been the case that even I have walked into a practice room and seen someone crying and breaking down and ha- everyone having a powwow around them. So they really get to deeply know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the case with all of us other people because, you know, we're not together 24-7. But it's been interesting to, because especially the w- people that don't live here, um, like they aren't local, they, they go back to like San Diego or uh, Delaware or Maine or other places. And it's just, it's kind of sad because, or, one of my friends lives, lives in Pittsburgh, and I'm gonna. I, uh, he's my first roommate, Matt Cross, super awesome drummer, by the way. He's one of them on my list, but Pittsburgh's a bit far of a drive. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, it's heartbreaking. It's bittersweet. It, it is is the proper term to use, it's especially because you don't realize the amount of time that's passing between the time you like last spoke to them, so you don't know what's acceptable anymore. Yeah. Like, you don't know how to like. Especially maybe as an introvert, maybe you just rather keep it like it is mm-hmm. and maybe not reach out because maybe you're feeling anxious about it. Absolutely. That's one of the bigger, that's why I, I, I'm a shy extrovert. I, I I'll say that, but reaching out to people to do the show is like hard because some of these people I haven't seen are, I, we've had interactions, but some of them have been awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the relationships happen. Some people walk in on stuff they, they wish they hadn't seen. Um, and, uh, or, or you say something stupid or you play something stupid or you make, you make an embarrassment of yourself in front of your peers, which is horrible, horrifying. 
uh, experience. And um, it's awkward to reach back out to them when you're not seeing them every day. Yeah. So would so you would rather leave things be than spark up an old relationship? I don't know if I would say that, but my actions certainly say that. Mm. Uh, when we started playing shows, somebody said to the other band members, you know, we're going to be here. Bring all your friends. And I said, look around. These are all my friends, um, which isn't quite true. I do have a, another small friend group that bonds over other things here. Um, but, you know, even being in this town for four years now, I have like eight friends um, that people I interact with on a social level. And I feel like that's kind of what you can do as a older person with a job and kids and whatnot. So don't have time for old friends because I've got new friends. Right. And I, I don't have that much time for them. Right. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that my, my social circle is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller uh, in regards to people like I will die for or almost. Um, well, yeah, I would die for them. But uh, in regards to like who I know deeply or will are willing to have them uh you know represent me almost Mm -hmm. Uh, like the true friends um one of those is from high school way back when just because i've always kept up with her and she's always kept up with me and we've had a really special relationship where she went to philadelphia and uh i i'm here in lancaster so we're like oh let's have a slumber party and so i i did that so that and that kind of solidified and i would drive her to college because she doesn't drive funnily enough that's how we actually became friends she she, uh worst driver i've ever seen and she would not be offended by that because she doesn't drive (laughs) um because it gives her so much anxiety um to drive so that's and that's how i chose her over this guy who i just did not like um and that's how we became really best friends (laughs) so uh i have one of those from high school college um i there's nobody directly from college that I, I would say I, I directly interact with day to day, except my roommate, uh, Hunter Wood. He is one of the director. He is the director of worship at Victory Church. Have you heard, seen them? I probably have. I can't place it right now. Regardless, um, it's, it's, we're, I do have a few other friends. I'm going to a, a wedding, uh, next, next weekend. My first ever actually going to a wedding and being a groomsman. It's, I'm really proud of that. Uh, all the other weddings, I've, I've just been the DJ. <laughs> but um, it, it's become the case that you have your, you know, you have your high school friends, then you move on from them, and you have your college friends, and then you move on from them, and you, then you have your maybe your work adult friends, mm-hmm. and that's really the extent of all you can handle as your life gets more complicated, and more complicated, and relationships change you do an awkward thing you do a, a thing that upsets somebody that which creates a ripple effect and uh, you fall in love with somebody and that and that takes like half of your friends away uh-huh and so or you have a child and that takes even more of your friends away because you just don't have time and you know they come they be going it's it's a sad reality and you only have time for those little brief moments and everything some of the people from high, from my high school I couldn't search up their names because they got married. And I'm like, uh-huh. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm not a super active Facebook user, but, you know, I read it every day to see what people post. And occasionally people will want to be my friend. Um, and quite often 
it's a woman whose name I don't recognize because I knew them as whatever their maiden name was. Yeah. It, it's and, and it was 20 years ago, so was, I don't even know them to look at them anymore. Right. Yeah. Granted, it's not been that long for it's only been like four or five, six years. <laughs> oh, no. Keep on going. In a couple yeah. blinks of an eye, it'll be 10 and then 15. Yeah, I graduated in 2017, so that's uh, five years now. Um, yes, that math is correct. Um, yeah. See, I, some of my friends are no longer, uh, some of my friends are no longer alive. Some of my, like, my closer friends. And that's was a gigantic hit to me when my friends and I'm granted I'm almost, I'm only 22 so I, I I'm sure that's not that much of a rarity for you um I only know of one person I was close friends with who is dead and he was already dead by the time we were 22 mm. yeah uh two or three of my friends have died uh no three uh, have died since then it, it's such a it's such a world shattering moment when someone like my my parent died which was war, world shattering of course but having a person that you've like you spend the night at their house or you have you you know all of not all of their issues but you have a deep understanding with each other and like you've had uh one of these persons was a bully so i uh but it was still sad yeah you don't want to see people die i don't no. want to see people die uh, some people be like, well, he deserved that. No, no, nobody deserves, nobody deserves death ever in my opinion. Um, it, but it, it's such a, such a, I guess it, the only word I can describe it is bittersweet. It's like, dang, I wonder if, what if I did this? And those questions start popping up in, in your head. Mm-hmm. One of my friends died of suicide. So I, I wonder if, um, what, it, what, what, what if I reached out to him and I was like, Hey, you want to hang out? You know, what would have happened then? Or like that kind of stuff. Do you, I, I'm sure everybody has these regrets. Do, do you, are you okay well, with that? Yeah. My dead friend also died of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't particularly close at the time because we'd been high school friends and we all went off to different colleges. Um, but the last time I saw him was probably, three months before he killed himself and we had a fantastic time together. Um, so I don't have regret because I don't know what else I would have done. Right. Um, but it was just so surreal to think that I wasn't involved in his life to know that what he, was going on with him. Right. Yeah. And it's often said that the, that the, the most suicidal people are that are the out, most outwardly happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Robin Williams is a big example. Um, and it's so it's so earth shattering, uh, reality shattering, to realize that I this person who I had known really well I don't know at all I didn't know or I've come to not know at all yeah and it, it's uh, we can I'm sure we can go on for this forever but um, I feel like that's is a good probably good. Unless you have something else to say. No, that sounds like a good stopping point. Yeah. So a few questions, uh, mainly one question. Actually, I have two questions uh, that I want to ask you before you go. One question, I, I thought this was fun to ask. This is something I've asked uh, previous partners of mine. Um, just as like a, it's like a trolley thought experiment. Um, if you're, If it was your wife on the line or one of your children on the line, who would you say? Which one would you save? The child. 
and why? Because that's certainly what the wife would want. Fair enough. Also because the child has many more years to enjoy from a utilitarian perspective. <laughs> Are you more of a utilitarian? Probably. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, in the trolley situation, it's always, it's always. I'm sorry, one person, but <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I mean, probably what actually happens is I'm too parallel, yeah, paralyzed by indecision, so yep. the, whatever the train was going, it's going to keep yep. going there. Yeah, that's. I feel like that's most people's answer. Like, if they had that, they wouldn't have the reaction time to think about it. Um, but yeah, that's interesting because one of some of my partners were really upset at me because they were like, "You wouldn't save me," and I'm like, "You wouldn't want to save your child?" <laughs> like, what? What? Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm do I, I like hear their point, but it's also like, listen, I would give my life in an instant for my child, and I, I'm not even a dad. Mm-hmm. I already know that for a fact. If if it's my child or me on the line or my child or my wife, it's the child. Point blank. Done case scenario. There's no no changing my mind. So that leads into, do you have anything else to say on that? No. Next question then. How about um, if there is something that you wish you had known when you had started, and this can be in regards to your co- collegiate career uh, as a professor, um, your music career, your uh, dad career, because dad is a job. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what is something that you wish you had known when you had started? So I can make this kind of relate to all of those, um, which is don't let embarrassment, fear of rejection, things like that stop you from trying something. Uh, I said that it took me basically 20 years from picking up the bass to get into a quote-unquote real band, one that got far enough to actually play gigs in front of people. And I said that was partially, or maybe I just described it as, well, it's really hard to find people, but that lets me off the hook for not trying harder. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't try harder because it just seemed too scary. Um, And the same thing applies in so many other areas of life, too. So you you might have been feared that you were going into the sunken cost fallacy. Are you familiar with that? I am fallacy? familiar with the sunken cost fallacy, but I don't think it really relates to what I was trying to say. Um, just that, like, you know, it was really hard to go into the rehearsal room for the first time and play with those guys, mm. but I did it. But you did. And I could okay, have done gotcha. it 20 years ago, and if I had, I'd have 20 more years of awesome Right. memories of having played music with people. So you, it's too fun to have not done yeah. just because I was afraid of failure. So you were more as, as uh, taking the step versus not yeah. taking the step. Mm-hmm. You, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. That right. Kinda, that kind of stuff. Okay. That's yeah, no, that's, that's a good one to end it on because it, it is, you can't be afraid because either life, life is going to happen to you either way and you have to, react to it if if you if you want to get ahead and do what you want to do it's not going to come to you maybe once in a million but this didn't come to me uh my music career didn't come to me my i had to go out there and do it and Mm -hmm. that's the only way that you can really take hold of your future in uh in some aspects the future is always unpredictable but there's ways of guiding it I'm going to be a lot better pianist if I practice every day for like 30 minutes versus if I only practice once a week. That's just a fact. Just a fact. Uh, so if you take anything from this from this episode, don't be afraid to step out. That's right. And with that said, that has been Corey Rosen with the podcast. With the 
Corey Rosen with the Story Podcast with my special guest, Chad Hogue. Thank you, Corey. It's a lot you. of fun. This was a, this was a lot of fun. And with that said, good night, everybody. <laughs>